You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. This morning, we are going to be looking at a rather large chunk of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Um, I want to set your expectations in this because there is so much that happens in these chapters. There is the creation of the universe. We have God's institution of marriage. We have gender as created by God. We have the fall. We are introduced to the Trinity. We're introduced to Satan for the first time. We have the first glimpse of the gospel. So much happens in the first three chapters of Genesis. It is not my intention at all to cover all of these themes in detail. They deserve that, but that is not the purpose of this morning. As has been announced to you for the last few weeks, we are starting today a series on friendship. A series on friendship. So I'll be preaching this week, and then Trevor and Ronald will be preaching the next two weeks as we cover the idea of friendship. This morning specifically, I want to look at relationships. Friendships will hone in more of the details of friendship and what that looks like in the next two weeks, but today I want to be looking at relationships with you. This is the main idea that I want us to come away from, come away with. When rightly oriented toward God in worshipful relationship through the gospel, you rightly image the relational character of God in your relationships with others. That's really long and complicated. I'm going to read it one more time. When rightly oriented toward God and worshipful relationship through the gospel, you rightly image the relational character of God in your relationships with others. Now, speaking of relationships, even just hearing that word, we have words that are associated with that that commonly come to mind. If you're anything like me, the words that come to mind are maybe difficult, frustrating, challenging, maybe sometimes disappointing, confusing, draining. Even those of us that feel like our relationships are in a pretty good place, I think we'd be really quick to say our relationships are challenging, if nothing else. It is hard work to maintain good, healthy relationships, at least any relationship worth having. Why is this? Why are relationships hard work? Are they supposed to be that way? And because they are hard, do they need to remain this way? Or can they become easier? These are the questions that I want to explore this morning with you. And to do that, I want to start with where relationships come from, which is why we're starting in Genesis 1. Genesis, if you're not familiar with the Bible, is the first book of the Bible, the very first. Genesis means the beginning, the start. This is where we start with creation. So if you, if you have your Bibles, if you can open to Genesis chapter 1 through 3, we'll be skipping around a little bit in those sections, but that's where we'll be for the majority of this morning. So the Bible starts in Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Most of chapter 1 deals with God's creation of the universe. In six days, he creates everything that we know. The entire universe. Planets, stars, the laws of nature, we zoom into planet Earth, we have land and sea that are separated, we have light, we have days that are created by God, 
animals, plants, fish, insects, human beings, everything is created in the beginning in these first six days as we see recorded in Genesis chapter 1. We're starting here because, again, I want us to see the origin of relationships. We get to day six, and this is when God creates human beings. Please read along with me Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 26 and 27 is where we'll start. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We read these verses, and maybe you're thinking, I thought we were talking about relationships. This doesn't seem like it has anything to do with that. These verses tell us that human beings from the beginning were designed by God and created in his image. What does that mean to be created in the image of God? It means several different things, but to be created in the image of God means our design, our purpose is to reflect the glory of God. It does not mean that we are small gods. It's not, it does not mean that we are like God in every way, but similar to how the moon reflects the light of the sun. It has no light source in and of itself, but it reflects the glory of the sun. In the same way, we, as humans, being created in the image of God, were made to reflect the glory of God. We do not have time. Time does not permit this morning, I wish it did, to go into more detail of what that looks like, specifically in how we are to reflect the character of God. We are going to look at relationships. We reflect God in relationships because God is relational. We reflect We, ref, we reflect. We reflect the relational character of God in our relationships both with him and with others. So when I say God is a relational being, what do I mean by that? Well, in verse 26, notice the pronouns that God is using. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. This is the first glimpse we see of a truth that is revealed through the Bible to us about God that we commonly refer to as the Trinity. God being one God and three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as they are commonly referred to throughout the rest of the Bible. God is perfect in all ways. God is complete. He cannot be improved upon. There can be nothing that will make him better. He is the best there is by definition. Otherwise, he would not be God. Part of his perfection is in his relationship with himself. A common misconception about the creation account is that God, because he was chilling in the void before creation, he was bored and lonely and wanted to create something that he could have a relationship with. This is an inaccurate representation of, of creation. It is also an inaccurate representation of the character of God. God needs nothing outside of himself to be completely satisfied, to be completely content, and to be completely perfect. That includes in relationship. God in his relationship with himself is complete, completely satisfied, completely content, cannot be added to, cannot be made better. 
that relational character that God has is one of the ways that we, as being made to image God, reflect him. We are made to be relational beings, just like God is. We have two types of relationships. We have a horizontal relationship with God. He made us to commune with him. And he also made us to have horizontal relationships, relationships with other men and women, human beings. Another misconception about the creation is that God created Adam, and Adam was lonely. Adam needed a friend. There's nobody else like him. So God was like, I know, I'll make Eve, and then everything will be good. Again, God and everything he does is perfect. God does not have a research and development department. God does not create with iterations. He doesn't fix things. There's no experimentation. Everything that he does is perfect from the beginning. And verse 26 corrects this for us, the idea that God made Adam first and then corrected it with Eve. If you notice the second sentence in verse 26, it says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the plural. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. That was the design from the beginning. So there to be male and female, that's a whole other gender conversation we could have, but we don't have time for that. But God created us to be in relationship again with him and with each other. And when we worship God, and when we worship God as he is, as he is supposed to be worshipped, we reflect his glory both in our relationship with him and in our relationship with each other. Now we have said and looked at God's perfection. God's perfection is seen in his creation. We see as God creates the entire universe in chapter 1, he says that it is good. He says this multiple times in verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, and verse 25. God continually looks at what he has made, and he proclaims it is good. And when God proclaims something is good, like he's not saying it's good like I say ice cream is good. He's not saying it's good like that movie was good. When God says something good, it means it is perfect. It is good. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no mistakes with it. There's no failures in it. It is good. It's interesting that at the end of chapter 1 and verse 31, we see God as he is reflecting again on creation. Now human beings have been created. In verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he has made, and behold, it was very good. The capstone of his creation, humankind, had been created to reflect his glory. That is the purpose of mankind. To reflect his glory relationally. And God says that it is very good. Take a minute with me and think about what relationships would look like as very good, defined by God. First of all, let's look at our relationship with God. Imagine a relationship with God. Our relationship with God was originally created. This was his design for us. Take that a step further. Our relationships with each other. As we do a quick analysis of the relationships we have, imagine if your relationships, as they were designed, as we see them here in Genesis chapter 1, were perfect. Where you were 
comfortable, where you weren't always second-guessing, what are they thinking about me? Where we didn't need ironclad contracts so that we don't get a tinkered advantage of by others. These are the relationships that God created in Genesis chapter 1. This was his design for us. This was his design for us. Relationships were good, perfect relationships with both God and others. But we can, when we compare that idea of the types of relationships we see in Genesis 1 and we compare and contrast them to what we experience, it falls apart really, fit, really quickly, really fast. Our relationships aren't like that at all. Some of you in the room may be squirming, maybe feeling like, man, you should be proud of me that I'm even sitting in this room with other people in the pew with me right now. I don't want to be here at all. Relationships scare me to death. But now you're telling me that God actually created me to be in relationship with others? There's others of you that as you reflect on the relationships you have, really the only memories or experiences you have are pain. Where you have been hurt, you've been betrayed, you've been lied to, you've been taken advantage of, you've been abused. Maybe it's just a general lack of relationships that have you feeling lonely. This tends to be our common experience in relationships. So where is this disconnect? Why is our current experience so much different from what we see in Genesis chapter 1? Why is our experience today so much different from God's intended design? Takes us to our second point. Our first point was we were made in the image of God. Our second point is that relationships with others are broken because we've chosen to image ourselves instead of God. Turn with me to chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read together verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Depending on your familiarity with the Bible, you may or may not have heard this story before. I'm going to bet that most of you are at least somewhat familiar with the idea of Adam and Eve and fruit, and they weren't supposed to eat it, and they ate it. That's what we're reading here in Genesis chapter 3. God, in chapter 2, actually verse 16, this is God's original command. He said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This is the command that both the serpent and Eve are referencing in chapter 3. And usually we're taught that because Adam and Eve ate the fruit, 
They disobeyed God. And this is what we commonly refer to as the fall. This is when sin, sin enters the world. They did disobey, and we will talk about that. More importantly, though, what happened here is Adam and Eve chose to not believe in the goodness of God. Satan, in his temptation of them, got them to disbelieve that God's plan for them, God's design for them, is what was best for them. Remember what we talked about before when we were in chapter one, God's perfection means that everything that he does, everything that he does is perfect. It cannot be improved upon. It cannot be better. But oh, how often we are tempted to believe otherwise. Just like Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent here in the garden. The temptation is Adam and Eve, Eve in specific, I want you to know that God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit. The fruit's not the big deal. The, the deal is God knows that when you eat of it, verse four, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And God can't handle that. God does not want to share his glory with you. He doesn't want you to be like him. And so he's holding back something good from you. God doesn't have your best interests in mind, but I'm here to be your friend. I'm here to tell you that this thing that you're missing, it's right here and you can have it. I have to do is take the fruit and eat it. And you can have the thing that you're missing. You're missing. Their unbelief is where the sin started. Their unbelief in the goodness of God. Their unbelief in how they were created and how they were specifically designed by God. They were made to worship God. And in their unbelief, they're saying, I'm not going to worship God. I'm going to worship myself. I know better. I need this thing. I'm missing this thing. This is no longer God's will that I'm living in. It's no longer God's glory that I'm living for. It is my glory. What do I need? What do I have to have to be fulfilled? How can I be better? This is where sin starts, is when we disbelieve the goodness of God and his will for us. But then something happens. They eat the fruit. Eve shares the fruit with Adam, who's right there. And they're expecting just their eyes to be open. Just like we usually do. When we, when we choose sin, we're like, we choose sin because we want this thing. We want whatever the sin is promising that it's going to offer to us, and we take it. And we don't think usually about the consequences beyond that. Adam and Eve did not either. But it starts to fall apart. Let's read verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. for us to go to chapter 2, verse 25, the last verse of the second chapter. This is speaking of Adam and Eve. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Remember perfection. Remember perfect relationships. They were naked and not ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. The relationship was good. There was safety and security in that. There was nothing to hide from. There was nothing to keep away from other people. Everything was in the open. Everything was good. Everything was enjoyable. There's safety and security in that, both the relationship with God and with each other. But as soon as they eat of the fruit, verse 7 tells us that they were ashamed. And they even go 
to the lengths of sewing fig leaves together to hide their shame and their guilt that they feel. They do the thing that we are very familiar with. They try to hide and cover their guilt and shame. And imagine what this would feel like for both of them. Both of them have lived in perfect relationship their entire lives up to this point. And then all of a sudden they're feeling guilt for the first time. They're feeling shame for the first time. They're feeling brokenness in their relationship with God for the first time. And all those things that they took for granted, the things that they had with God, the security, the safety, the position, their place with him, the acceptance they had with God, it's all gone. In an instant, it's gone. And they can't go back. They don't know what to do. Not only is the relationship with God broken, this has a domino effect into the relationships with each other. You see, when we choose to not worship God and image him correctly, both in our relationship with him and in our relationship with others, we put ourselves on the throne instead of God, then all of our relationships around us are no longer to serve God with. The relationships around us are to serve ourselves with. We see this played out in the next verses. Chapter 3, verse 8, this is when God comes to them after they've sinned. Starting in verse 8, says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Let's stop there. Again, the perfection of creation, God creates Adam and Eve, perfectly designed to be in perfect relationship with one another. We actually see in chapter 2, verse 23, Adam's reaction to seeing Eve for the first time. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He was content and happy and satisfied in that relationship, loved her. But as soon as God is replaced as the thing that we worship, we replace that with ourselves. Our relationships again become tools to serve ourselves. Look again in chapter three, verse 12. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. His closest human relationship, at the first opportunity, he threw her under the, bu under the bus. Not only under the bus, this isn't getting your hand caught in the cookie jar. He's throwing her to the wrath of God. He's doing anything he can to protect himself. He's not thinking about her. He does not confess his failure in leading and protecting Eve. Later in the garden, when Eve is being tempted by the serpent, Adam's job there should have been to banish the serpent. When Eve is approaching the tree, he should have gotten away and said, Eve, don't do this. This is not for you. This is not good. When she takes the fruit into her hand, knock it out of her hand, say, no, we cannot do this. Not only does he not do any of those things, when, he, when she offers him the fruit, he also takes part in it. Verse 3, let's look at Eve's response now. Excuse me, chapter 3, verse 13. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Again, no ownership of I believed a lie. I chose to disbelieve in, the, in your goodness and your truth. I chose something else. I chose to worship myself and my needs and my desires. No, it's Satan's fault. Because he lied to me, that's why we're in this problem. We play the blame game. Their broken relationship with God has had consequences they did not expect. Instead of glorifying God in relationship, they just destroy one another in a race to self-fulfillment. The bottom's fallen out. This is how sin works. It always is more. It costs more than we bargained for. All they wanted was to be like God. All they wanted was for their eyes to be open and be like God. But now they find themselves in a place that feels bleak and it feels hopeless. When meditating on these chapters this week, I was reminded of a quote from one of my favorite books, Anna Karenina. And Anna Karenina, the book is written by Leo Tolstoy, the main, the main character is named Anna Karenina. As she's reflecting on a lot of negative choices that she's made in her life and thinking about what her life was before she made these choices, she has this to say. How many things which seemed then beautiful and unattainable are worthless to me now. What I was then is past forever beyond recall and ages could not bring me back. Would I have believed then that I could have fallen into such debasement? This is where Adam and Eve find themselves. How did we get here? Not long ago, everything was perfect. Everything was provided for. Our relationships were good. Everything was good, as God has, had intended it to be. But because of their choice to disbelieve the goodness of God, because of their choice to sin, because of their choice to disobey, everything is broken. And again, it feels bleak. It feels hopeless. But it also hits close to home. This isn't siloed off in the first few chapters of Genesis. Are any of you in this room, have you been betrayed by those closest to you? Have you blamed others for your failures? Have you chosen to believe that God isn't quite good enough? Does the prospect of living without the experience, that relationship, that career, does that scare you into rejecting your God-given purpose of imaging him, not yourself? My hand is raised because I have experienced all those things. But this is not where God leaves us because God is good and God is loving and God is gracious. We move to our third point. Relationships can only be restored through a restored imaging of God through the gospel. Through the gospel. Let's go back to our text. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 14 and 15. This is God's response now. God has come to them, come to Adam and Eve, ask questions, ask clarifying questions. What's going on, guys? Adam has blamed both God and Eve for his issues. Eve has blamed the serpent for hers. And this is God's response. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go 
and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. At first blush when reading these verses, it doesn't seem like a whole lot. But this is huge. This is what theologians refer to as the proto-evangelium. This is the first glimpse of the gospel, God's plan of salvation for his people. We see that here in verse 15. The offspring of the woman that God is referring to is speaking of his son, Jesus Christ, that will be born of a woman thousands of years later. The serpent, of course, is referring to the serpent, referring to Satan. The bruising of the head, the bruising of the heel sounds at first blush, again, strange. But the truth in this is so huge. When he says that Jesus Christ will bruise your head, bruise the serpent's head, this is his victory over Satan. This is the crushing of the serpent's head. The bruising of his heel, the bruising of Jesus Christ's heel is the death that he will experience on our behalf. So the gospel, what is it? What are we talking about? What is being referred to in verse 15? Let's unpack this a little bit more. God's son, second member of the Trinity, we mentioned before when we were talking about the Trinity, God the son, will come to earth as a man. He will live a life perfectly, perfectly reflecting the glory of God as we were meant to do, but failed at. He does that perfectly throughout his entire life. Then he dies on our behalf because that is the punishment for our sin. Adam and Eve's failure, Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. That's the punishment for sin. There's no lesser punishment. That's what it is. Adam and Eve pay for theirs. We pay for ours. Jesus Christ imaged God perfectly, died on our behalf to pay for our sins that we have committed, and then rose again, defeating death and proving that he accomplished what he set out to accomplish. In that resurrection, that is the crushing of the serpent's head. That is his victory over sin. Yes, his heel was bruised in death, but he rose again and had victory. So here in verse 15, God is saying, Satan, you did not win. You may be happy with yourself. You feel like you got a W, but I'm calling the game and this is how I'm going to win. This is what he's saying in verse 15, and that is why it's so exciting. This is the gospel here. This is the way back to restoration, the way back to restoration of our relationship with God, the thing that's been broken by sin, the bleak hopelessness that we feel because of our lost relationship with God. This is reconciled. This is restored through the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died to restore his people in relationship with himself. Please turn to John chapter 17. I want you to see this. The fact that Jesus wants to restore us in relationship with himself and God. John chapter 17, this is Jesus speaking. This is the high priestly prayer. John chapter 17, verse 20. John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, 
that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus' purpose in coming to earth, imaging God as an example to us, creating righteousness to be imputed unto us, dying on our behalf, rising again, mediating at the throne of God on our behalf even now, the purpose was to restore relationship between his people and God himself. And through that, as our relationship is rightly ordered to God, then our relationships with each other are also rightly ordered because no longer are we using relationships with one another to serve ourselves. We're using relationships as they were originally intended. It's blessings from God that we enjoy, that we give glory to God through. That is the design for relationship. And the way back is the gospel. The Bible tells us if we repent of our sins, if we place our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, that relationship is restored with God. The security and the safety, the identity, the affirmation that we were designed to have in God and who he is, not in ourselves, in God, that is restored. And so our relationships with others. Now, you may be thinking, okay, I think... Propositionally, I'm following you. I think I understand what you're saying. However, I get that my relationship with God is fixed, but man, my relationship with other people, it does not feel that way. If you're telling me that the gospel is a way back to restore the relationship with God, I can get on board with that, but it doesn't feel like it restores my relationships with others. Because I still have broken relationships. There's, it's, a, it's a two-pronged problem. One, we still struggle with the same sin that Adam and Eve struggled with. We still struggle with unbelief in God. So while our relationship has been restored through Jesus Christ, it is a daily struggle to believe that God's way, God's will for us is what is best for us and to live in light of that. The second is we have indwelling sin. Until Jesus Christ comes back, those that have put their trust in Jesus Christ will struggle with sin until the day he comes back. And so will everybody else. That sin is what continues to break our relationships, and that is why we live in this cycle of repentance and faith. When we fail in our relationships, it's not, we do not hide in shame and try to cover it with fig leaves, works of righteousness on our own. We run back to the gospel and we say, Jesus Christ has paid for this sin. I am forgiven. I know I am restored in relationship with him. I now, for his glory, I'm going to, as best as I'm able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, reflect him, reflect his image, in my relationships with others. So again, we are made to reflect the relational character of God. We now reflect the gospel as well. Through the gospel, we've been forgiven of our sins. Because we've been forgiven, we reflect that in our relationships with others. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We love as we've been loved. We've been shown grace and mercy and kindness. We show that to others as well. That is how we reflect the glory of God in our relationships, our horizontal relationships with each other. God pursues us when we are in trouble. We pursue others when they are in trouble. God does not leave the hard discussions, the hard conversations. God pursues us and has those conversations with us. He disciplines us for our sake. We run after others 
because we love them, because we want to glorify God in our relationships. This is the way back to restored relationships is through the gospel. Now, another response that you may have is, honestly, I'm sitting here and I'm not a Christian. And I don't think my relationships are that bad. I mean, I've got a good relationship with my spouse. My kids love me. My coworkers like me. I don't really do bad things. I feel like my relationships are in a good spot. Friend, if God is not on the throne of your life, that means you're on the throne of your life. That also means the relationships that are in your life, you're using to worship yourself. It may not feel like that at first blush, but it is that. We think about the things we do in relationships when we're kind to other people. Are we kind to other people because we want to glorify God in that relationship? Are we kind to other people because we want them to be kind to us? We volunteer at charities. Does that make us feel good about something that we did yesterday? Is it for our reputation? Is it so that we're not lonely? So that we don't have to be scared anymore? Our relationships, if they are not being used as God intended them to be used, to be enjoyed for his glory, they're being enjoyed for our glory. And that is sin. That is sin, and we are damned to hell for it. For those of you in the room that are Christians, don't run away from relationship. You were created for it. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Because of our sin, it's uncomfortable. Is it hard? Yes. Is it challenging? Yes. But it is good. It is good because that is God's design for us. And there's restoration for our relationships in the gospel. As we glorify God in how we live, our relationships will reflect that and we give glory to God in that. So walk in the gospel, see relationships as blessings and gifts from God. Glorify God as you seek to daily grow in your calling to rightly reflect the character of God. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.